0: Welcome to another edition of Surgeon's Lives, uh, I'm your host John Monson, today we're going to be talking to uh, Professor Julio Mayo from Madrid in Spain. Um, Julio uh, I've known for a number of years and is probably best known around the world for his um, engagement and indeed his initiatives and innovation in the space of social media. However, there's a lot more to him than that, of course. He's um, a general surgeon um, who, in fact, uh, was um, a mentee of Jeff Matthews, um, one of our early interviewees. He's been heavily involved in publishing over the last uh, 20 years or so, and is a casual but really very skillful photographer as well. Um his latest interest is, of course, in artificial intelligence and uh, AI uh, looks set to challenge the world of publishing as well. So let's uh, settle down and uh, listen to uh, his story of Stuff That Matters. I'm John Monson, and this is Surgeons' Lives. John, Julio, how are you? Very good, and you? I'm good, thank you. And... Um... Thanks for taking time out of your day or your, your evening now to um, to join. Um, I've interviewed surgeons from around the world, and um, it's a, a great uh, pleasure to have you join us today.
1: I'm greatly honored, and I watched uh, Jeff's uh, uh, podcast and uh, Robbie Madoff's podcast. Um, congratulations. Uh, I admire them a lot and i think that both were wonderful pieces uh, of, yeah
0: and no, well thank uh, you for that um i mean and they're they're all different and the third one which I went out which is george fielding who is a long friend, long time friend of mine um uh you know is a remarkable man who um you know is just coming through some major health issues that um um, leads him to describe some very uh, profound descriptions of his attitude to life so what i asked all of them to do and i'll ask you to do uh, if you um if you would um is just start by uh, telling uh, uh telling us um a little bit of a, a brief life story starting with the words i was born in okay
1: so uh I was born in Madrid. Uh, it sounds like Charles Dickens, uh, David Copperfield, <laughs> novel. Uh, I was born in Madrid and I was raised in Madrid, um, and uh, I studied uh, here when I, I decided to become a surgeon when I was five years old.
0: Oh wow! Uh, very
1: early, very early. Um, with no tradition in my family, I'm a I'm a dirty blood surgeon. Um, but but for some reason, probably the American TV series or whatever, I decided to become a surgeon. And um, apparently I succeeded. Uh, I studied medicine uh, in, in Madrid. And um, when I was a third year resident, I met Julio Garcia Aguilar. Julio Garcia Aguilar trained at my uh, hospital and he was senior uh, to me. Um, and, uh, he was this inspiring figure. I always heard stories about, but I met him in 1993. I was a third year resident and, uh, he came back to Madrid after finishing his training first at the Beth Israel hospital in Boston. Um, and then, uh, in, in Minnesota. And he came back to Madrid because of his J1 visa. Yeah. And uh, I met him. He he got a position at my hospital and I met him. And he was the one that uh, um, made all the arrangements so I could take a, a clinical rotation at the Beth Israel in 1994. And that's how I met Jeff Matthews at that time. Uh, so those two people played a major role in my life. And uh, probably they transformed um, what I was and what I wanted to be. And here I am now. uh, I stepped down as chief medical officer at my own institution and back to surgery and um, education. Uh, And as a whole, I think that uh, I I have had a good life, a good career. And I'm very happy with uh, the decisions I made when I was five years old.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think you certainly hold the record as the, the youngest decision maker I've interviewed yet. Um, so what was it about those two individuals that um, that made them so remarkable to you? Um,
1: but- It's difficult to tell. In retrospect, uh, now it's pretty difficult to tell you because sometimes you see things you cannot explain, but Mm -hmm. there is something. uh, Those people had something, those two remarkable surgeons had something that uh, changed the way I looked at problems and what I wanted to be in life as a surgeon because I met them when I was a a, a third um, third year and fourth year re Uh, But both of them were very focused, very uh, decided to do things that uh, changed how patients were were approached first and then taken care of uh, later. Uh, Both of them paid a lot of attention to detail and intellectually, they were very challenging. That's something that impressed me a lot. They were extremely challenging. Probably um, that's the Beth Israel thin uh, Bill Silence uh, legacy somehow, because both of them trained under B- Bill Silent at the Beth Israel. I didn't meet uh, Bill Silent, but both of them had this flavor. Yeah, um, and and they were uh, very thoughtful. Uh, their analysis of things was very appealing to me. And uh, I tried to, I have tried to imitate them um, and I failed, but I tried. I give it a try.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think they're, um, they are very different individuals in many respects, Um, but I've always thought that they shared uh, a couple of characteristics um, and, and probably the most obvious one to me is um, they're both seriously intelligent people. And it's, I don't mean a high IQ, but they are, they are true students of what they are doing. And and are very thoughtful and serious-minded. Now it doesn't that doesn't mean that they're obviously that they're sort of dull and dour at all. Quite the opposite. Um, you know, Jeff is um, has his music side, and Julio spends an unnatural amount of time riding a bicycle. Right, um,
1: right. I don't know how he does it, but <laughs> that's what he does.
0: <laughs> well, he does. I mean, to be fair, he does look like a cyclist. I mean, you know, yeah. as in he's um, he's not carrying 50 pounds too much, you know. Um, and and,
1: and, and, and uh, in the, the OR, he's tireless. Yeah. Uh, tireless. Ever, uh, I remember I was a resident and he was a uh, young faculty here in Madrid. And I remember spending hours and hours paying attention to detail. If it was not excellent, it was not good enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah uh,
1: there's this saying in Spanish um that we say baleja baleja it's okay okay leave it it's okay it said I'm I don't want a baleja thing, I want to get it perfect yes. because sometimes when it's not perfect it works but if it's perfect perfect it may fail but if it's not perfect I won't feel um
0: good yeah I think the the um the English version of that is it'll do Yes, exactly (laughs) the
1: same. It'll do. And he said, no way. I don't want to hear that because that was our experience here in Madrid before, where he trained and where I trained the same service with the same people. We always heard that. Balija, it's enough. So
0: after Beth Israel, um, uh, what was next for you? Well, I learned a lot. I spent a lot of time.
1: then I, I came back to Madrid. I finished my training here in Madrid and I returned to Boston as a research fellow in surgery with Jeff. And uh, then I started studying fluoride transport and barrier function. Uh, Jeff spoke about this. Yes. And uh, yes, we we did wonderful things, uh, very intelligent, interesting things. Uh, I learned a lot and... And probably I learned something that later played a major role in how I uh, work on social media. It's uh, T84 cells, how they, these monolayers behave, how they need to be connected. And then if you stimulate them, they yield some kind of response. And, and uh, in retrospect, it played a major role in uh, how I look at Social media and how I look at people connecting and being able to um, transform ideas into projects and uh, uh, interesting results.
0: So you were a research fellow for two years,
1: almost two years, because uh, I because then Julio was in Madrid, but then Julio got a position up uh, at Minnesota again. Yes. So he left his position in Madrid. And I was recruited for that position. So I always followed Julio. I am the second Julio, right? I followed him. And I his... don't speak as quickly as he speaks, and uh, I can hardly imitate his accent, but uh, but I always follow him. I'm and the is, second Julio.
0: Is, is there a third Julio? There coming?
1: was, in fact, there was a, a first one, a senior oh. uh, gastroenterologist oh. okay. under who. Julio Garcia Aguilar trained here in Madrid. So in fact, I'm the third Julio and probably the last one.
0: So you (laughs) went back uh, um, and um, at that time you were um, a surgeon scientist. um, Yes,
1: and I loved it. I loved it. I, I started my own lab here in Madrid when I returned in 1997. I hope I started my own lab to do cell biology, um, correct transport in rat colon, and I published. Uh, I did what a, a surgeon scientist had to do. I, 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 I ha- because of the uh, of Jeff's commitment and help and assistance, I published in um, the American Journal of Physiology, Cell Physiology, um. Blood- Gastroenterology, all those things, because it was good science at that time. Sure. And, yeah. and I did I did that. I started my own lab uh, here in Madrid, and uh, it lasted until two thousand, around two thousand and seven and eight, when uh, a friend of mine, Madhu Prasad, who also trained under Jeff and I, decided to uh, leave biology behind biology was not going to be the solution for surgical problems probably we thought more about technology and how to innovate to make surgery safer and more accurate
0: so so that was an intentional decision to yes. um to do that i i asked that because you know, it, it kind of mirrors my some of my own experience when I was, you know, my background was tumor immunology, um, interleukins, and immunotherapy, and I wrote my doctoral thesis in that. And when I was a chairman in England, I set up a lab, et cetera. But I electively stopped and transferred my interests to health services research because what I thought um, was that um, you know, the, the 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 molecular um project was becoming increasingly challenging outside of the biggest, biggest centers. Um, number one. And what I also thought was that there was funding coming from a more political source, um, because governments were interested in healthcare delivery, and therefore this was a way and and I do think that's um I think that's played out um, as indeed your intentional decision to, um, to change um, directions played out, although probably not in the way you thought. Uh, well, it worked. I always planned for 10 years and then I yeah. changed.
1: So I became a chief innovation officer at my institution. Um, okay. Madhu Prasad became chief innovation officer at the Henry Ford Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Detroit in Detroit. Yeah. So we started to collaborate, um, and then we visited um, University of Chicago in 2008, and and we spent some time spent some time with Jeff and talked about this and decided to okay, let's move on. Let's let's move into technology, and it worked for some time. But after almost oh, ten years. I decided that uh, I, I I needed power, uh, administrative power to um, be able to transform innovation into something that really works uh, yeah, at my own sure. institution. Yeah. And that's why I decided that innovation is, is good, but it's not enough. You need additional power if you want to implement um, solutions. Otherwise, it wouldn't work.
0: And, you know, if you fast forward to now, um, you've, you've become a different word for that, as in you've become an influencer, Um, (laughs) not, you know, in some respects power, but perhaps not, perhaps again, not in the way that you had originally anticipated. So, so, so talk, Talk us through that um, social media journey, um, uh, and uh, how and why, and and uh, you know how and why number one, but uh, also you know how did you do it? Because you've been, you know, you're probably best known now as one of the more prominent um, social media influencers, obviously. So talk us through that.
1: I agree. Uh... That's uh, another layer of complexity. Two thousand and eight, uh, we visited Jeff two thousand and nine, early two thousand and nine. I was invited by a uh, um medical journal here in Madrid to tweet uh, uh, a procedure. And uh, we did it. It was second after Henry Ford's uh, uh, first uh, event. they okay. they tweeted something. In January, we tweeted something in February, and it, it worked. Um, nobody knew what this was was going to be, but, but it worked. It, it attracted some yeah. attention, but not enough, uh, not in, It was not clear. But uh, in, two, in April 2009, uh, Jeff had opened he, uh, had s- created his um, Twitter account. And I created mine to follow him, because I wanted to stay in contact, keeping yeah. contact with him, and that—that's what that—that that was uh, the main motivation for me to create my Twitter account. It was just to uh, follow what yeah. my mentor yes. uh, was doing, and uh, and I started playing with with this tool, and as I mentioned before. Um, Somehow, this T84 cell culture thing uh, was embedded in my in my brain, and um, I started playing with with the uh, with this tool. And I started locally uh, instead of globally. First, I started to um, tweet about uh, healthcare and innovation, healthcare systems and innovation here in in Spain, and I became. Rather influential at that time, as I was the chief innovation officer at my institution. So right. being being uh, on social media and and uh, at the same time challenging the system was uh, well perceived and seen by um, administrators here because it was new and uh, it was open for experimentation. Um, But then I became more interested in how to disseminate uh, ideas and research. And then I started started looking at how being first active, uh, second to um, uh, infect the network with um, interesting ideas could pay off because the number of followers increased uh, yes. dramatically yeah and all of a sudden 2016, 2016 um we started to use this hashtag colorectal surgery first with with uh, richard brady yeah. and it became a big success success uh, i think that surgeons were waiting for something like this we need to connect we are uh, although People tend to judge us as anti social. We are extremely social. Surgeons are extremely social. We need to connect. We use that connection to learn, and then we apply knowledge to solve problems, um, real life problems, and we see the immediate impact. We get immediate feedback when we make decisions.
0: So um, you, you, um... This was a very intentional project on your part. Um, yeah, although it and... was
1: not written down, but but it was clear in my mind that first I needed to connect with people uh, uh, who are um, leaders in, in the field, who I know. For example, I I knew you before you knew me. Yes, I followed yes. your presentations at the SSAT for years.
0: Yeah,
1: but but we had never interact we had never interacted at sure. any
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, uh, no way I would approach you in person because I always fear that my English is not a good enough that I don't have anything meaningful to say or my questions are not good enough to to um interact with you but but here with with Twitter with my phone this is my place I can write something down if you don't like it you don't reply I really don't care I don't feel somehow frustrated I can make that explicit decision to text you because I won't suffer the immediate reaction uh, if you decide to avoid eye contact or whatever so for someone who is as shy as I am uh, because it may seem different, but I am very shy. It was the perfect tool.
0: So it seems to me that at some point during that journey, and maybe I'll articulate this very badly, but you know, it like many people, it started with um, a very small, you know, toe in the water with a new technology that nobody really understood um, what it might do. Um, And then a project, as you say, to or an intentional decision to disseminate certain information, um, such as innovation, whilst maintaining um, connectivity um, as much as possible. But you've also moved into... um, a deeper understanding of the technology itself as opposed to just a vehicle i mean most most of us um, um use twitter in a in a fairly thoughtless way in the sense that you know we will tweet things intermittently etc cetera, etc cetera. But you've really undertaken quite a deep dive into the organism that is Twitter, perhaps, of course, reflecting your interest in cell biology. But um, you know about the membranes and organisms and organelles of Twitter more than most people. Uh, uh,
1: well, I think that's a good approach to how, how it is and how it worked for me. Uh, Firstly, was cell biology, then technology, then people. Um, I, basically I see this as computational sociology, uh, studies. I'm I'm more interested in people than I was before when I was interested in devices and technology. Uh, so, so Twitter, my, my cell phone and Twitter is just a tool to interact with people and find answers to... Uh, something that I feel, these questions that I feel are important. Why surgeons make decisions how they do, how they interact, are all of us interact. What's meaningful to to us? What are we looking for? Um, what is important when we deal with uh, complications? When we deal with anastomotic leak, I'm not so interested in anastomotic leaks. Yes. I'm more interested in how surgeons react and interpret anastomotic leak. So, mm-hmm. so I, I have evolved over time from cell biology, then technology. Now, more, uh, I'm more interested in sociology, anthropology, and, and probably as I age, I'm more interested in people yeah, yeah. Seems.
0: well you know it's um you know conversations such that we're having now would never have occurred between surgeons 20 years ago because any sort of acknowledgement that um that there was psychological impact on people or you know was always considered something of a weakness etc and you know the the um the lead article in the bjs is how surgeons respond to an anastomotic leak in uh, in in their uh, older years and there's an article um a review article a nice review article in the surgeon um this month about the surgical personality um um something that i did a little bit of research on when i was in england but in that journey of as you say of Look, peering inside the people. What have you learned? About, what have you learned about surgeons? What What's the lesson that you've learned? Um,
1: in general, we are kind of, um, we have psycho psychopathic, psychopathic traits. First, we, I don't mean this in a bad <laughs> way. Yeah, we are not bad people. Basically, we are able to uh, disconnect problems, and emotions, um, to some extent. We, we have a lot of cognitive empathy, but little uh, emotional empathy.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So we understand, and we can interact, and, and we can um, have minimal, m- meaningful social interactions because we understand people very well. But when we practice surgery, we disconnect; otherwise, it would be very difficult for us yes. to mm-hmm. do what we do consistently. Yes. So, so probably that's the uh, our explanation. The is uh, this this uh, lack of recognition of our emotional involvement when we make decisions stems from that yes. um, psychopathic
0: trait. A, we have a, been
1: trained. A, we have been trained to follow
0: it's partially a protective mechanism, uh, absolutely.
1: otherwise, we would go nuts yeah after two leaks, and um I would quit,
0: yeah, I you know i've I've often said to young trainees over many years that you know what surgeons do on a daily basis is most peculiar. um you know you, come into work in the morning and stick a knife violently into another human being. Um,
1: Basically, we have an anesthesiologist who, who put them to death. Yeah. Transitorially, yeah. but it's death. Yeah. Then we cut them into pieces, expecting that if everything turns out to be right, the patient would be better off three, six one year, month, one year after our procedure, that's that takes a lot of.
0: Uh, it does, and I've 40. I've also uh, one of my pet peeves also, which is just a recognition, is that you know when a surgeon loses a patient, the remark made is, "Oh, you know that guy killed that patient." When a, um, a medical doctor loses a patient, they go, "Oh, it's very sad that man died." You know, it's one is considered to be an act of commission, you know, and the other is a natural event that could not be prevented. And, you know, that that has to have an impact on surgeons' personality, I think.
1: Uh, Well, we live we live this daily. We face these challenges daily. I'm sure we have uh, wounds. And uh, we have scars. Yeah. Uh, we have, and, and I can't never forget this patient that I made this decision and uh, it failed, it didn't work. I go to sleep even 20 years later. I yeah. remember that patient. Yeah. I remember that decision. I would do whatever is necessary to reverse that decision mm. that I made. But but at that time I had to make that yeah. decision
0: and live yeah. with the results. Well, now, um, so social media has developed in ways that um, nobody really anticipated, and I'm sure we're just scratching the surface of it. Uh, we'll come on to, I'm, I'm going to ask you in a minute or two what, what you think about AI, but what I before that, what I want to ask you is one of the, unintended consequences of this has been the nastiness and social media and uh, the trolling the um, and I, I don't want to use the term fake news but you know deliberately malignant um, assaults on people etc um, uh, what's your um, what's your thinking about that because it's it, it, it never in the absence of social media, you know, people used to argue and be nasty to each other, but it was always confined to, um, you know, a, a, a patient once said to me, who was a tech guy he said, you know, in the past, when I went to the hospital, um, and I was annoyed with the nurse, I would go home and tell my wife, he said, now I tend, I tell 10,000 people on Facebook. Um and it's different, but there's a nastiness that's developed in social media. What what's your yeah. stance on that?
1: And I, I've been very fortunate in some in some instances, although because of the COVID pandemic and because I appeared on national TV almost um uh, every weekend for a couple of years, I received uh live threats, um and and um it was it was really difficult to deal with those um, threats at the beginning, but then I learned to I learned to manage them. Um, social media enhances virtues and uh, yeah. all these bad things, human nature. After all, that's what we are and how we are. We hide it because education helps. A lot, and civilization helps a lot. That's what we have been able to do. We have democracy, so we can replace a government instead of killing the emperor in Rome. Uh, so we we have become civilized. But after all, that's just a layer. Yes, the core values are the same. The core um, cracks are underneath that layer. So when you get rid of that layer, like social media, because you are hidden behind a a fake name, then your true self appears. And those who are good people are better people. Those who are bad show their bad side because it is very difficult for the rest to identify them and to tell them, okay, this is not uh, good. This is not appropriate. So, they're hidden behind this mask. So, so basically, what we are looking at on social media is our true nature,
0: yes, yeah, yeah so um, so you um tend not to tweet um stuff of a political nature, um whereas Jeff does um, uh, you know, is very clear about his social position on on various things um what would you advise a young person um uh in embarking upon their social media career should they stay away from politics or or uh divisive topics uh what what's your advice because of course divisive um tweets do create awareness um yes, yes. Absolutely. Um, first
1: of all, try to be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Behave consistently; otherwise, people will
0: notice. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's. Good point, but uh, that's a good point you are. in life. Jeff
1: is Jeff is like that. He, he has always been like that <laughs> on social media and and uh, offline. Yeah, he is like that. He cannot change.
0: No, no
1: after no. sixty-something years, it's going <laughs> to be very difficult. Uh, in my case, I, I'm, I'm. I can. I can be very political, but I didn't want to be because I was chief medical officer. Yeah. I didn't want to divide uh, people. I collaborate and work with, uh, especially during the pan uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic, but. For uh, younger generations, it's going to be natural for them to be who they are or who they want to be because sometimes we show what we want to show. It's not our real selves. Yeah, uh, It's just the, the good side that we want to show. But my advice would be behave in the way that you are because then it's easier to deal with Uh, the bad aspects of participating on social media.
0: Of course, what that means is that some will and some won't, just as they had done before social media, just as we all have done, you know, before. So just, you know, changing focus a little, we are both um, journal editors, um, and in the space of mere moments um, we suddenly found our, find ourselves faced with the challenge of chat GPT and various other forms of artificial intelligence, potentially writing papers that are fundamentally completely fabricated. Now, you know, in my editorial career, I've probably seen five to 10 papers that were fabricated. Um but now um, this is a real this is a real challenge, and a, you know it's it's accelerating so quickly beyond our understanding and ability. Um, do you fear? Um, uh, do you? Are you frightened of um, things like ChatGPT? I'm not frightened. Uh, I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. In fact, I use, I use it
1: uh, to teach my students. Uh, to to formulate good questions,
0: All
1: right? Uh, the challenge here is to formulate good questions when you are training people and when you want to learn about AI. But it is true the 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 challenge the uh, or the the danger here is what you have just highlighted: how to use a good a good tool uh, for a bad purpose. Yeah. And, and that's a major challenge. Yes, uh, because. Then we will need AI to tell us whether this paper is really fabricated or not. Yeah, we can do that. The problem is the cost benefit ratio. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but but we have to be smart enough to use technology to avoid fake papers, to avoid fake um ideas and fake uh information. We can do it but we need to collaborate. We need to find the critical mass of people with good values, with good intentions, and then collaborate to, to develop solutions that help people to learn, that help people to uh, build the best science possible. Because AI can be very useful if you want to uh, do good science. Yeah. But uh, we need to learn to use it because this is really new. And then we can use AI to help us identify those uh, who are misbehaving.
0: It's interesting also that, um, you know, the journals use, um, all journals now use uh, visual abstracts to create awareness of their publication and one thing or another, um, which, uh, you know, has a good side to it. Um, But of course the downside to it is that people read the abstract and not the paper. And react accordingly. I think that, you know, there's an interesting example not that long ago of um, a paper about um, colorectal cancer screening that caused huge um, fuss simply because people didn't read the paper. Um, And um, not only did, and and it was interesting that people were saying, you know, this should have had an editorial. You know, there was an editorial, (laughs) but seeing as (laughs) they never saw the journal, they never read. You know that's a that's a little bit of a problem, isn't it? I mean, it's all basically the banner headline and not the article.
1: Yeah, the clickbait. Uh, we read less and less. Mm. In the meantime, we get more and more information. Yeah. We get overloaded. Uh, we have this. Uh, it's, uh, we are intoxicated by information, <laughs> um, and. Uh, <laughs> Who is the designated driver for this?
0: Yes, yeah, I guess so. I guess and, so. and
1: then professionals, uh, scientific organizations, uh, professional organizations and uh journals must change the way things are done. Yeah. Visual abstracts is excellent, but it promotes uh less reading.
0: Do you think a young surgeon starting today faces a better career than you did? In other words, there's been a lot of changes in the practice of medicine, and it's pretty traditional for people of my generation and your generation to bemoan um, that things are not the way they were. And there's some evidence that that is the case, but... Um, are you optimistic for the future of a young surgeon or pessimistic?
1: Very optimistic. The world is going to be better. It always has been. Probably those, as we age, we tend to think that when we were younger, the world was better. Yes. That was not the case. Yeah. At least for me, it was not the case. The world is much better off now that it was 50 years ago, for sure. The problem is that we were younger at that time and now we're older and we have a better position and we judge things with our current perspective. But uh, true. Sur- surgery is going to be um, more exciting than ever. Uh, we will do better things. We will get better outcomes for patients. We will save... Rectums <laughs> yes.
0: but,
1: and 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 we and then we complain because there will be uh, less work for us, yeah. okay,
0: exactly. so,
1: so what? Let's change the business model. Let's think an innovative way, but don't try to block innovation. Don't try to block evolution. This is how it should be. Yeah. let's make it better, not less let's make more because we are still living this um industrialized society where more equals better and that's wrong
0: yeah yes so um what about retirement um what is your thinking about that um are you a retiring person or are you working until you're 85 um what's in your mind um, uh, I, will, I, will, I will work, but for
1: different reasons and in a different area. I'm not pursuing surgery until I am 84 because that's the only thing I can do. There are many exciting things in life that we ha- can experience and that we missed because we were very busy in the OR um, doing our procedures. There are things out there, art, literature, uh, painting, and and most importantly, human interactions. I want to know more people. I want to uh, share ideas with them. I want to uh, be able to discuss complex issues, although I may be wrong, but I want to learn. If I learn, I feel really excited and I want to do more, not more not only just technical things i want to discuss with people how to improve the world for the generations to come
0: so um so when you're in your um average workday finishes or your work week finishes um what um what is outside of uh, work for you these days what do you what do you do to to decompress, to have fun, to um, to just uh, relax.
1: Yeah, I, I write novels, although I only published one in nine in two thousand and fifteen. Right. Which is about which is about a HPV surgeon. As a colorectal, I always looked at HPV surgeons as those sophisticated <laughs> people who do pancreatectomies. <laughs> <Okay. Yeah. laughs> um. So it's about uh, 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 this surgeon uh, uh, and I love writing. I love writing novels, although I hardly publish. And then uh, I go to museums. I love uh, painting. I love, in Madrid, I'm very fortunate because there are many and I enjoy them a lot. And then taking pictures of uh, my daily activities just when i walk because i don't run um <laughs> i i <laughs> i just walk and uh, i look at things that are marvelous this little things that sometimes we overlook but that really make life worth living
0: you do these uh, your photos i've seen many of your photos and they're they're you have an eye, obviously, um, for this. Do you, you use you, just your phone or a camera?
1: Yes, the iPhone. I yeah. never did this before. Then I, uh, for some reason, I realized that we surgeons, as we moved into uh, laparoscopic surgery, we developed uh, a different perspective because we went from 3D surgery, this open procedures, yes. to two D. So we need to use the vanishing point in order to be able to use our tools. And that gives us a different perspective when we look at reality. And that's what my pictures come from, uh, from this exploiting the vanishing point that we use for uh, laparoscopic surgery. Then with robotic surgery, it's a different thing yeah, because, yeah. again, we have 3D. But laparoscopic surgery had a good side, this 2D Vision had a good side, and it was promoting looking at the reality from a different perspective.
0: So, when you're um, when you eventually do retire, or um, well, not even retire, but um, you know you highly successful surgeon, scientist, social media influencer, maybe even one day best-selling novelist. Um, how would you? like to be remembered and how do you think you will be remembered
1: uh good question i can say this because i've been asked this in spanish so i can translate first of all sorry for my english sometimes <laughs> i need to think very quickly in spanish in order to translate it into into english because it doesn't come out automatically um but i want to be remembered as a decent person just that
0: yeah It is, um, I think that is an answer um, that comes with age. Um, I think that is, I suspect that's not the answer that many 35 year old ambitious surgeons give at 35. I mean, there will be some. But uh, it is, um, I I, I find that interesting that um, I'm sure it's something that comes with age that you realize that that is under the heading of stuff that matters, whereas, you know, 250 papers with a high citation index is not stuff that matters. Uh,
1: Probably even my younger self would have said, uh, I want to be a surgical superstar.
0: Yeah, yeah. For sure. I want to
1: sure. be Jeff Matthews. Jeff Matthews yeah. is a decent, a very decent person, but I wanted to be that imaginary yeah. figure that yeah. it was larger than life, or Julio Garcia Aguilar, uh, larger than life surgeons. I want to be that. And, and I tried hard and I worked hard uh, to be that. But now I want to be remembered as a decent person.
0: So anything on the, uh, do you have a bucket list or not? Uh, no, no, no. no. You're no. content to take the experiences as they come along. And um, I think I know the answer to this, but do you have any regrets? No,
1: no. I make decisions at the right time. I probably I failed. I made wrong decisions, but it was what I had to do at that time, in retrospect, there is no way to judge what happened in the past with my current experience.
0: So, and uh, what I one other question I, I feel obliged to ask you, um, which is how have you reconciled um, uh, Julio's um, the other Julio Aguilar? Um, his uh, support for Barcelona um, as a football team. This is a very (laughs) challenging um, thing to experience with him.
1: Yeah, Um, sometimes uh, life is not perfect. (laughs) And uh, well, I I don't like football very much, but I I prefer to win. That's why uh, I'm a Real Madrid fan.
0: I, I um I once gave a presentation uh, with Julio and um I included um it was talking about evidence base um and what people believe you know which is you know the basis of people believe what they believe rather than what the evidence tells them and as I pointed out to him uh, I know for certain that Manchester United is the best football team in the world. The evidence doesn't necessarily support it, yeah. but it's enough to make me convinced.
1: Well, that's what that's uh, there's a br- very interesting uh lecture by, by Jeff Matthews uh and on on tr- uh, truth and and yes, he, he spoke about this. Um, and he's he speaks about uh Evidence-based medicine being an incomplete epistemology. And that, that happens in life. that's the common thing. Uh, that's the oh, sure. natural okay. thing
0: for us. And you know the whole the whole science, uh, the the whole uh, territory of implementation science as well is a, a fascinating thing. Um, so Julia, listen, I want to thank you so much um for spending some time um on uh, for us to do this it's been um, a joy to talk to you it's been illuminating and and thought provoking um if um if we never see your face again we will certainly read about you on the twitter sphere etc um, etc et um so um i want to thank you sincerely it's been a great joy um uh, this will come out um uh, in the next few weeks or or, or a couple of months potentially, um, we're ahead of this, and um, I hope you'll um, I hope you'll enjoy it and be interesting to see how people uh, react.
1: Thank you very much, and uh, it, it was quite a challenge because it's difficult for me to express sometimes complex ideas in a different language in in English. Well, but...
0: As you and I have discussed before, your um your Behind the door, translation is better than mine from English to Spanish, as you, as you well know, um, etc. Thank you. <laughs>